Father, we just give ourselves to you. I pray that you would open our hearts to hear your word, that it would change us, God, through your Holy Spirit because of Jesus. We love you and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. And uh, next week we take our quarterly offering for our missionaries. And so I just want to highlight a, uh, our missionaries again. And this will be kind of the same as we did last quarter. Um, we have two uh, couples that we commended to the Lord's work in different parts of the world this past year. That's very exciting for us. It's been a dream of ours for a long, long time. And we, we sent uh, Pablo and Bethany Calderon to Brasov, Romania. And they're getting settled in there and they have an active music ministry and they hope to be involved in discipleship and church planting, building. So pray for them. Also, uh, Lucas and Lois Richard, my sister Lois, who was here uh, until her early 30s when she got married a few years ago, uh, has now, well, first went out with Lucas to Ireland. Ireland sent them home because they wouldn't renew his visa anymore after a few years. And now they have strongly felt the Lord's call to go to Liberia, Africa. And he was here a month ago, you may remember, if you stayed for the potluck, talking about Liberia. And so they're going next month. So please pray for Lucas and Lois and just getting settled in, all the logistics and details uh, of getting over there. Uh, please also continue to pray for Matt and Trista Deaver in Nepal. And it was exciting to read in one of their latest prayer updates that Matt preached his first message in the Nepali language uh, much sooner than anticipated. So just... Praise the Lord for that and continue to pray for their language learning and just sowing seeds for the gospel in Nepal. Some other missionaries we support through this offering is Dana Georgiana Akins, also in Romania. They're partnering with Pablo and Bethany. Micah and Amy Tuttle in Peru. Bob and Sue Cohen in Uganda. And Colin and Diane Lord, who are going back to the missions field after some years of break here. And Papua New Guinea, they're part of a Bible translation effort there. So just uh, pray for that. That offering will be next week, and uh, we, we look forward to those missionaries, and it's kind of exciting to see what the Lord does in, in different parts of the world. All right, if we can bring up my uh, sermon slides next. Um, you may remember last week how uh, Nick asked us to do that awkward thing that preachers sometimes ask the congregation to do when you have to say something kind of funny to the neighbor next to you, and, and he asked you guys to say, got milk to the neighbor next to you. I've, I've never done that kind of thing before, but I'm going to do it today. Um, it tied, his, his got milk tied in very well with the passage in 1 Peter 2, too, you know, to crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word so that uh, you can grow up into the fullness of salvation. So this week, I want everyone to proclaim together, I am a priest. Let's try it. I am a priest. That's pretty good. I won't make you do it a second time. Uh, we're, we're not some kind of cult here. Uh, being a priest is really a biblical concept. And I think you'll really appreciate that this morning and just how privileged we are, how privileged we are as believers to be priestly believers of God. And we see that in our passage today in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 4 to 10, I'm just going to start at the beginning of the chapter. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, 
to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Uh, this passage in verses 4 to 10 today really flows from those opening verses in verses 1 to 3, which were covered last week. The main thoughts in, the, in those opening verses last week uh, were this, that first of all, in the light of the gospel, having, and having purified our souls and obeying its truth, we were to, commanded to get rid of all evil behavior. And remember from a couple weeks ago in chapter 1, verse 16, when Alan spoke, there was God speaking through Peter saying, Be holy, for I am holy. So if we're truly saved and changed by the gospel, we will, with God's help, desire and make effort to cut out the sin out of our lives. Sin is warring against our flesh, and the Lord wants us to have victory over it. So get rid of the evil behavior. And secondly, was to crave and cry out for the nourishment of the pure spiritual milk of God's word. And I've got a picture up here of a, our first baby 12 years ago, and I've already cleared this with him. He knows about it. He's sitting here. Our first baby, Cademan, uh, September 22nd, 2004. And, and I tell you, this baby craved his milk. Around the clock, drank the well dry. He was well-nourished. And you can see at three months there, even in the middle, just well-nourished. You don't even see a neck even. It's just kind of baby chub, you know? And uh, now you just see him at age 12, just such a grown-up young man, a strapping Klein boy. And, uh, you know, this, this imagery in this verse, though, of, of the baby craving its mother's milk is just such a powerful illustration of how, as believers, we're to crave, to cry out for, to long for the Word of God so that it may nourish us as believers in our faith. This week, as we continue on in the passage, and, and the Apostle Peter, with the divine help of the Holy Spirit writing to us here, encourages, after encouraging the believers to get rid of their sin, after encouraging them to crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word, he goes on to encourage us to keep coming to Christ and enjoy the privileges we have as priestly believers in Christ by offering up spiritual sacrifices. As I read this passage a moment ago, did you notice all the imagery of the Jewish sacrificial system? There, there was mention of a temple or a spiritual house and priests and sacrifices and so really to appreciate this passage we have to go back in time this morning and try to get an understanding of all this so that we can understand what god meant for the believers then and for us today having a good understanding of that culture is so important when looking at a passage of scripture and so we're going to kind of transport ourselves just back in time a little bit and try to understand this spiritual message for us today so first of all, uh, there was the, there's the temple. And back in the Jewish sacrificial system, the, the Jews had a physical temple constructed out of these cut squared stones and everything in it was made by the most skilled craftsmen. It was an amazing place. 
It was the spiritual house of God's people where they came to the priests to offer sacrifices and worship. And, and in the Old Testament, you even see when Solomon con- completed the first grand temple, that God's very presence came down and dwelt in the temple and stayed there for many years until the people became unfaithful. And so here's kind of a, a model in this picture here of the temple in Jesus' day. It was destroyed after that Solomon's temple and then rebuilt by King Herod. All right, and then priests. We read about a holy priesthood here. And do you remember the first official priest in the Old Testament in Israel? After God delivered his people Israel from hard bondage and slavery in Egypt for 400 years and led them out by miracles, he brought them into the wilderness. And when he brought them there, he gave them his law. And then he started the first priesthood, starting with Moses' brother Aaron and his four sons. And uh, they were the mediators. They were the go-betweens. They were the holy men of God, and the people came to them to offer sacrifices on their behalf. They had direct access to the presence of God. Not just anyone could come directly to God, but the priests could. And then sacrifices. And I don't have a great picture here, but this is kind of the priest laying his hand on this bowl, or, yeah, this bowl, and he's going to transfer the, symbolically transfer the sins of the people to this bowl. And, and so they, they made animal sacrifices from the time of Aaron to the time of Christ. And uh, after the sacrifice of Christ, of course, we know from the Bible that those animal sacrifices become irrelevant because the sacrifice of Christ was a perfect sacrifice, a once-for-all sacrifice to make full atonement for our sins. So now let's think about the spiritual significance of the temple, the priest, and the sacrifices. We don't have a beautiful temple on the scale of that Jewish temple of old. I think this building is really nice. Uh, you know, just a little tangent, that we used to, one time in the 90s, had a, a, like a glass, a clear glass podium up here. And that was probably our fanciest thing we ever had in our temple, but uh, it cracked one time, and we won't mention who did that. But uh, anyways, in the temple, in the temple, uh, this, it's a spiritual house, a spiritual house of believers. And in this spiritual house, it has a cornerstone. Every, every temple, a building like that had a cornerstone, a, a piece, and and the, the whole thing was built up from that cornerstone. And that's what we saw in this passage here. And we're told that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of this spiritual house. And I, I did a little word study on the cornerstone. I kind of had an idea of what a cornerstone is in a building. But this was very interesting. And it really adds to the flavor of, of the meaning here. In Lockyer's Illustrated Dictionary of the Bible, he says, A cornerstone was placed at the corner or the intersecting angle where two walls of a building come together. In biblical times, buildings were often made of cut, squared stone, and by uniting two intersecting walls, a cornerstone helped align the whole building and tie it together. So the idea is that it kept the horizontal and the vertical angles just right, so the whole building was perfect. You know, if it it was off horizontally, it would kind of have a lean. If it was off vertically, it might tip in or out. It had to be perfect. That cornerstone set the alignment for the whole building. Vine's dictionary also says that they, the cornerstone was laid so that it gave strength to the two walls which they were connected. And that's such a rich illustration, isn't it, of the spiritual house of God and how Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. Peter quotes the Old Testament a lot in his letters, and he quotes from Psalm 118, 22 here. And, and he did the same thing in Acts 4, actually. And he said, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone 
In Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, it says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So this this spiritual house, this temple of God, we're called, is being built up, and it's made up of all believers in Jesus Christ. And then at the foundation of it is a solid rock on which to build our lives and our church, the cornerstone of the church, the living stone, as it says here. We're to come to him and build the church on him and build our lives on him. He's a living stone. You know, you usually think of the term stone dead, right? It calls Jesus here a living stone. That's appropriate because Jesus is alive from the dead, having conquered sin, death, and hell. And he's alive in heaven today. He's the living stone. He gives us the spiritual strength, the foundation for the church in our lives. Verse 4 also describes him as chosen and precious. Verse 6 says that he is elect. He was chosen and prophesied to be our foundation. And so that when they built the temple, there would be a master builder. And he would choose that perfect precious cornerstone to be that foundation block for the whole building and so god the father is like that master builder of his people the church he, he picked the perfect most precious stone he could to be the foundation to build his church on and it was his own son jesus christ that's amazing and then the metaphor of stones for a temple also includes us we see in verse five that we're called living stones we're so closely identified with Christ in this spiritual house of God that, that we're a part of it. Our lives are so connected in union with Christ that we're called living stones here. And, and as God, God is the master builder of the church, and as that master builder would just place all those stones in just the right place, you can just picture God the Father bringing us all here together this morning with all of our different backgrounds and personalities and experiences and spiritual gifts. And he's like a master craftsman just placing us each in just the right place as he builds up the church. We're the living stones in this spiritual house of God. So there's the temple. And then the priest. Uh, We don't have a merely human priest anymore. From Aaron until Jesus Christ, there were legitimate high priests. Uh, I know some churches do recognize a pope or a singular priest. In the, in the New Testament, the principle for church leadership in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, elsewhere, is, is, of a, is a plurality of leadership, of elders. But the priesthood doesn't even end there with just the leadership. We're told here that all believers are a holy priesthood. This is the priesthood of all believers. And uh, I just kind of want to take a pause for a moment and ask the question, and this is related to some recent circumstances with our home. And uh, did, the, did the priesthood end after the Apostle John died? You know, there's a, there's a group out there, a religious group, um, called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as Mormons. And uh, they come knocking on your door. They came on ours and probably got a little bit more than they bargained for. Um, you know what the foundation for their message was? That when the Apostle John died, that the priesthood ended. And so the church of God ended until the 1820s when their founder prophet Joseph Smith came on the scene and uh, received some tablets with writings of supposedly ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics, and, which only he could read and interpret through the aid of some special glasses. And uh, it's quite a story. 
And that's the heart of it. So in their view, there wasn't a true church from the Apostle John until their restoration of the church of Jesus Christ. And we saw it as an opportunity to just offer some gospel truth to some misguided young men. And uh, you see the picture I've got up here. And I, don't, I, I know this is a play. I don't know anything about it. I don't know if I can recommend it to you. I don't know if it's good. It's called The Book of Mormon. I just love this picture, though, because these guys come to your door and they're so eager and happy to share with you about, you know, everything they have on their mind. And, and this picture kind of exemplifies that in a funny way. You know, the, this guy jubilantly jumping in the air, your doorbell right there. And, uh, you know, I asked them, though, you mean to tell me that there wasn't a church anymore when the Apostle John died? I mean, the own believers in his own church, his disciples who continued in his teaching, it wasn't a true church anymore? No one could get saved? I just can't believe that. God has preserved a faithful remnant of his people throughout the ages. The gates of hell did not prevail over the church. We know that from Matthew 16. And you know where I took them in the Bible to show them that the priesthood never ended? Right here. To 1 Peter chapter 2. The church continued on. People were saved through the centuries. The reformers had it right. Not just a piece of the puzzle, as they said. This passage right here this morning is one of those foundational passages in the New Testament that teaches this wonderful principle of the priesthood of all believers. In Ephesians 4, 7, it tells us that each believer has received a spiritual gift by the generosity of Christ. Everyone has a spiritual gift. In Romans 12, believers are encouraged to use their gifts of serving, teaching, giving, encouraging, leading, showing kindness, etc. So it's assumed that believers in the church use these spiritual gifts, not just the priests, not just the elite few in front of the congregation, but every believer in the church is a priest of God with spiritual gifts and a calling to use those gifts to build up the church of God. It's such a precious truth. And so I asked the question, what does it mean to, what does it mean to be a priest? And uh, we can all say I'm a priest, but what does that mean? And I think the most significant thing about being a priest of God in this church is that we have direct access to God. That's very significant. Because you see, in the Old Testament, throughout the Jewish sacrificial system, they didn't have direct access to God. They couldn't come to God with their sacrifices and serve him directly. They had to go through a priest. But because we have Jesus Christ, our great high priest, as Hebrews talks about, we can come directly to the presence of God and make our offerings. We can come directly to God with our prayers. We can serve him. We don't have to go through a priest. It's not for the elite. It's not about a pope. It's not about a priest in a confessional booth. It's you as a believer. You have direct access to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's amazing. Direct access to God through Jesus Christ. And notice that we're called a holy priesthood. Priests are to be holy. Now, positionally, we're made holy already by the sacrifice of Christ. When we come to Jesus Christ and ask for salvation, when we're forgiven of our sins, we, we are made holy. When God looks at us, he doesn't see us and his wrath and judgment anymore. He sees us covered by the righteousness of Christ. But then we're to live holy lives on this side of glory. In verse 1, as it said, get rid of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking. We need to examine our lives and live and walk in a way that's worthy of the calling of us, in a way that pleases God. You know, if you, if you go back and read about that first priesthood, Aaron and his four sons, you see almost pretty quickly after Inauguration Day, two of his four sons were unholy priests. You remember the story of Nadab and Abihu? Uh, they, they got drunk 
and then they went into the temple together when it wasn't time for a sacrifice. They didn't make the proper sacrifice anyway. They offered up like censers with incense on them and burned them, and, and it, it was a serious thing. And it says in Leviticus 10 that fire flashed from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Remember from chapter 1, be holy for I am holy. We need to take the holiness of the Lord seriously. In the New Testament, we might not see flashes of fire burning up believers today, but we, we do read in 1 Corinthians 11 where it mentions some believers who took communion in an unworthy way and were sick, and some even dead because of it. The Lord still disciplines his people. Just think of it. And so the encouragement is to not let sin go unchecked in our lives. If we have some unchecked, some unconfessed sin in our lives, we need to confess that to the Lord. And you don't need to go to a priest in a confessional booth. You just, in the quietness of your heart, even here this morning, if there's some sin in your life, confess it directly to God. Because you are a priest of God and you have direct access to God, you can do that. That's amazing. And then sacrifices. Now that we know that we're priests, priests make sacrifices. What kind of sacrifices would please God, God Almighty? What are our duties as a priest? As, as a manager and hire people, I, I have to put together job descriptions, and I usually try to put together four or five key objectives that everything kind of flows into, and uh, clear objectives, and, and we don't have to do that. The Bible does that for us. God's given us some clear things we can do to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And first of all, praise. Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Uh, there's so many times in Scripture where we see believers, even in difficult circumstances like prison or exile, they lift up, they offer up joyful praise to the Lord. And when we praise God with our lips, it says here that it's a pleasing sacrifice to God. That's something that priests do is praise, bring praise to God. Secondly, we can do good and share our resources. The very next verse there in Hebrews 13 says, But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. God's priests are to be generous with our time, our money, our good deeds, and not just in the church offering, that's certainly important to give to the Lord's work in the church offering, but sacrificially to the Lord and other areas in the Bible. He talks about giving to widows, helping the poor, our missionaries, Bible translation works, many ways we can show our generosity. And that's a sacrifice that's well-pleasing to the Lord, doing good and sharing our resources. Thirdly, bringing people to Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Bringing people to Christ is actually a spiritual offering to God. In verses 9 to 10 here in our passage, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We're to proclaim the great virtues and blessings of God to all people. In Romans 15, 16, it clearly says this is an offering to God. It says, Paul writing in the New Living Translation here, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I may present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. So when we win people to Christ, it's a spiritual offering to God. And there could be nothing more joyful, right, as a priest than to bring people to God. The reality is that most people, or many people, reject Christ. 
And we see that in the verses here. We're told in verse 4 that Christ is rejected indeed by men. In verses 7 to 8, it says there are those who are disobedient. And Christ to them is not a cornerstone of strength, but it says here, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word and meet their appointed fate. You know, the false religious leaders in Jesus' day rejected him because of their unbelief in Christ. And to them, he wasn't this cornerstone of strength, the foundation of their spiritual house, but to them, he was a stumbling block because they were expecting a Messiah to come as a deliverer and deliver them from the oppression of Rome. But he didn't come to do that. The prophecies that were fulfilled of Christ in his first coming were that of a suffering servant. And to them, that was appalling. How, how could the Messiah be a suffering servant? How could he die on a cross in such a cruel way that was reserved for the worst of criminals? To die on a cross was seen as a curse. How could that be said of the Messiah? And so to these Jews, they were unbelieving and they rejected him as their Messiah. To them, he was a stumbling block and they meet their appointed fate for that, eternal punishment for their sins. Listen, it's either have Jesus take care of your sins through his once-for-all sacrifice and atonement on the cross or you're left to pay for it and deal with it yourself. And if that's the case, you stand before a holy God, the same holy God who destroyed Nadab and Abihu, and we are under his wrath and judgment. And that's what we all deserve, right? But thank God in his mercy, he sent his son Jesus to be that once-for-all perfect sacrifice to die for our sins. His sacrifice for our sins, that's the only way. And as we as priests... Think of it as a privilege. Think of it as a responsibility and privilege that as ambassadors of Christ, we have the life-giving message of eternal salvation. And as priests, we have the privilege to bring people into the house of God, to bring them to Christ and build up his spiritual house. Just be a faithful witness. You have that message of eternal life. Prayer. As a priest, priests pray. And I picked out a verse here in Revelation 8, 3, it's kind of neat. There's a lot of verses on prayer. But this one here in Revelation 8.3 kind of gives us a, a behind-the-scenes view of what's happening in heaven when prayers are offered up to God. And this is kind of neat here. Listen. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was giving much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. It's kind of an awe-inspiring verse. You get this glorious picture in heaven of the prayers of the believers being offered up visibly before the Lord and his throne. May we exercise our priestly role in prayer in the church, but not just in the church, praying without ceasing throughout the week because we have direct access to God, no longer going through a priest or a pope or any other man, but through Jesus Christ directly to God because we're priests of God. In Hebrews 4, I love this verse here, in verses 14 to 16, so, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, and it goes on to say, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Think of that. Boldly to the throne of grace. That, that was something the Jew could never imagine before the sacrifice of Christ. How, how dare anyone come boldly to the throne of God? But here as believers, we're encouraged to do it. In the name of Jesus Christ, who has gone before us and is our great high priest, we come directly to God in his name, and he hears us. He listens to our prayers, and that's amazing. 
You know, what, should I, what should I pray about as a priestly believer? Pray the kind of things prayed about in the Bible. Pray for, to praise him for his goodness. Pray for people to be saved. Pray for the church to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Pray for the leaders in government. Pray for those struggling in sin. Pray for those struggling marriages and family life. Pray for help in our burdens and struggles. Just pray, pray. It's a precious opportunity and privilege we have as priests of God. And, and kind of lastly here, and there could be many more sacrifices mentioned in the New Testament, there are, but this is the last one I'm going to look at this morning with you, and that's our bodies as worship. Because we've experienced this great salvation that has brought us into a living relationship with the living stone, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, we have every reason to offer up everything we have, everything we are, to God. Romans 12, 1 to 2 come to mind for this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Did you see it there? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Kind of goes back to being a holy priest, right? Our lives are being offering to God. It says our bodies, our lives to the Lord is a reasonable service. Isn't it reasonable after all the Lord's done for us that we offer up all we are to him, our lives, and worship to him? John MacArthur says, For those in Christ, the only acceptable worship is to offer themselves completely to the Lord. Under God's control, the believer's yet unredeemed body can and must be yielded to him as an instrument of righteousness. It's the only acceptable worship, to offer up our bodies, our lives, everything we are to the Lord as a spiritual sacrifice. And as I come in for a landing this morning, uh, let's just look at these verses 9 to 10. I think these will provide a great lead-in to our time of communion. Peter writes, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You know, we're so privileged. The truth is that those who don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will meet the fate they deserve for their sins, eternal punishment. That's, that's what we all deserved. We realize that. When we were lost in our sins, we were under that same judgment. We were once, as it says here, not a people of God. We had no mercy. But because of Jesus Christ, we are now the people of God. We've, we found mercy. Mercy is a, is a great word. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, right? We, because of our sins, deserve God's punishment. We deserve his wrath. We deserve his judgment because he is a holy God. But we don't get that. We don't get what we deserve. We get his mercy. And that's through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. It says here we're chosen to God for salvation. God chooses us. He calls us to himself. If he didn't, we'd still be lost and dead in our sins. That's wonderful. And we're called here royal priests. We're not just holy priests, but we're royal priests. It speaks of royalty. And Revelation 5.10 says, God has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. There's coming a day when we'll reign with Christ. How amazing is that? We're called a holy nation. Israel rejected Christ for the most part. There's still a future for them, according to the Bible, but 
in this time, we're the holy nation of God. We're his own special people. We have the privilege of proclaiming his praises, it says. And as a result of all God's blessings, we need to show others the goodness of God. And lastly, the apostle Paul reminds us here that we're, we're God's people who have received his mercy. And we're, and we're now the people of God because of his mercy. It's wonderful thoughts as we now take the bread and cup. And I just want to leave you with a few verses from Hebrews chapter 9. And uh, this is, you could read Hebrews chapter 7 through 10 actually and get some wonderful, uh, wonderful scripture that reminds us about the sacrifice of Christ. And I just want to read here starting in verse 11. Hebrews 9, 11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for sins. Isn't that wonderful? That once for all sacrifice that Christ made on the cross was a sacrifice for all time. No longer bulls and goats. No other sacrifice from that point onward. No other sacrifice of an animal or any other kind of sacrifice now to make atonement for sins. We just look back to that perfect once for all sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is that atonement for our sins. And because of that, we now have a relationship with God. He has made us priests of his spiritual house. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for calling us, for choosing us to be a part of your spiritual house. And Lord, we only deserved your wrath and judgment, but we thank you that in your mercy and your great love, that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be that once for all perfect atonement for our sins. And now because of that, we have direct access to you. May we, as a church, appreciate and realize the blessing it is to be a holy priest of God, that we come to you with praises, that we offer up to you the lost for the name of Christ. Lord, that we offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice to you. Everything we are, we owe everything to you. We are nothing without you. And Lord, may we just be faithful priests. Let us not be like Nadab and Abihu, reckless and careless and disregarded your holiness, but Lord, let us be faithful priests, uh, serving you faithfully. We just thank you for these great privileges and blessings that we've read about this morning. May through your Holy Spirit, you minister to each one in their own need and their life situation through this. And Lord, just build up your church. You're the master builder. You're putting all the pieces in the right place. We pray for the lost to be won, for this room to be filled, for you to build up your spiritual house here at Creekside. We just thank you for that truth. And now as we take the bread and the cup, we're just, we're just so thankful for Jesus Christ. We do this and we, we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the sacrifice, for the atonement for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. You call.